pray with me? So, Father, I uh, thank you that those words are abundantly true. And we need look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ to see what love looks like. Like a great exclamation point on your redemptive story that screams from Calvary, I love you. I pray that as people, we would never doubt that. In a world that screams a message that is anti-God and anti-gospel, there are so many times where frankly, I will doubt, but may I never doubt your unending, unrelenting love for me and your people. As we continue to worship you now in the word, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth by the power of your spirit and in the name above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles and open them up to Genesis chapter 3 as we continue to worship God together. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people who would be happy to put one in it. Um, If you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd love for you to take that one home with you. So, um, but we're going to be, our passage today, if you were doing the daily reading, was Genesis 1 and 2, but we're going to start in Genesis 3. Genesis is the first book in your Bible, third chapter. I read it a couple weeks ago, but I just want to bring us back to that place in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they, were, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among them in the garden. And the Lord called out to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? And the rest of this story that I hold in my hand, this book, is about God reconciling that broken relationship in two ways. Two relationships on this planet are supernatural. They are what we are experiencing right now in this moment, the bride of Christ. It is a supernatural relationship among people that he uses to conform us into the image of his son. And the other supernatural relationship is the one we're going to look at today, and that is marriage. So today's um, message is called Marriage Matters. Now, you might be sitting here today going, wait, I'm not even married. I, I want to I just take a second and say that guys, this message isn't just for married people. This message is for any and all of us. This, these, you could be divorced, 
single wanting to be married. You could be too young to be married. But there are principles in here that are for everyone, whether that be because someday God might call you into marriage, whether that be because God is calling you into singleness, whether that be just in how you relate to each other. What we are going to look at today is at the heart of every human relationship, but most intensely in the marriage relationship. And so today we're going to look at marriage. I want to ask a question just to sort of lay that issue to rest of marriage and singleness in this message today. Was Paul married? The Apostle Paul. Was Paul married? No. And yes, he was married to the bride of Christ, the church. I mean, that, if there was a man who ever walked the earth that was married to the church, it was Paul. Right? And so there is a sense of marriage that is husband and wife. There's also a sense of marriage that is Christ and the church. And we're going to look at that a little bit in both ways today. A lot of bit if you go through the activities in the toolkit. If you don't have a toolkit, by the way, we still have copies of it on our connect table in the back. But what we're going to talk about is how do we exalt Christ in relationships, specifically in the marriage relationship if God calls you and, and blesses you into a marriage relationship. If he does not, and God has called some people to singleness. Both Paul and Jesus affirm a call to singleness if that is what God has placed on you because you can do more ministry work. But for us today, we're going to talk about marriage. And what we're going to talk about, I'm not, I'm, my goal today, guys, is not, to, is not to give us tips on how to have a better marriage is to give us a better perspective on marriage. Again, there are, there are activities in the toolkit that will take you through roles of, relation, of the marriage relationship, how to have, like, activities that you can do to strengthen your marriage. Those are all good and worthy, but we have to have the right perspective on marriage if we're going to practice the right things. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. The question for today is, why does marriage matter so much to God? Why does marriage matter so much to God? Why does it matter how we answer that question? Why is that question so important? Because it drives us back to this ultimate point about marriage. What is marriage for? Like, what is the point of marriage? To what end are we to be married? Or is marriage the end all by itself? The greatest gift, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a few kind of bold statements today. The first one is the greatest gift we can give to the world besides Jesus Christ is our marriages. The greatest gift that we can give to the world besides Jesus is our marriages. Because a biblical marriage is so foreign to what the world's message is. Pastor, author, teacher, um, Charles Swindoll says it this way. I remember this from some book I read years and years ago, early in my 23 years of marriage. There is no greater testimony to the world than a reasonably successful marriage. There is no greater testimony to the world than a reasonably successful marriage. So today, why does marriage matter so much to God? To find that answer, we're going to look at where it starts, So go, where marriage starts. So go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start in, in our first point that together, together we are the image bearers of God. That's what we're going to see in these first, in, in verses 26 through 31. So let me just read those as you think about how this shows together we are the image bearers of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over all the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth and every tree which has yielded its fruit, its seed, and it shall be food for you and every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so, and I talked a few weeks ago when I read this passage, that God gave them everything. They had everything. The blessing came before they ever had a chance to be obedient or disobedient. He just gave it to them. And then it says in verse 31, And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So let me ask you a question. Who is the central figure in Genesis chapter 1? Sometimes we can think that the central figures are Adam or Adam and Eve. The central figure is God. His name is mentioned 36 times in in chapter 1 alone. He is the central figure. Why does that matter and how does that relate to marriage? Because what we just read is is a glimpse, we'll see a bigger glimpse of it in a minute, is a glimpse of the first marriage ceremony. And yet... The central figure of the chapter is God. So what we just witnessed was the creation of Adam and Eve and marriage, but the central figure of the chapter that, it was, that it's fixed in is God. I'm just going to let that hang there for a minute as we go on to explain it a little better, hopefully. Twenty or five times in 25 verses that we skipped, the first 25 verses of Genesis, God says, it was good. He speaks the stars into existence, it was good. He creates the land, it's all good. And then he gets to the very end and he says, it is very good. What changed? What was the, why, why five times is it good, 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 and then all of a sudden, sometime between chapters 25 and 31, it went from good to very good. What changed? The answer is obvious, right? The, the pinnacle of his creation, Adam and Eve were created, right, as, as his image bearers. Paul tells us in um, Psalm 19 that the heavens are telling of the glory of God, that the expanse is, is revealing or declaring his majesty, he says. But guys, so, so, that he's ta- so, Paul, so David is talking about verses 1 through 25. The heavens, the expanse, the world is declaring his glory. Creation declares the glory of God, but it doesn't explain the glory of God. It doesn't show us in a real way the fullness of the glory of God. Adam and Eve do that. How we get from good to very good is that the thing that is created in verses 26 through 31 is is more than just two more parts of creation. In fact, it's more than just the pinnacle of his creation. Because it's not, guys, we, we don't mind being told, hey, did you know that you're the pinnacle of God's creation? Does anybody here have a problem with that? You could be an atheist and have somebody say to you, did you know that God made man as the He might say, I, li- I, don't li- I don't believe that there is a God, but I like the way that sounds, that I am the pinnacle of his creation. But if we miss the real part of what makes Adam and Eve the pinnacle of his creation, we've missed the whole point of why God is the central theme of the chapter. So, so what happened? What, why, why from good to very good? 
God gives us a glimpse, a, a little insight into this. Don't turn there, but a few books later, four books later, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's a, the, the passage you're going to be in next week, Lord willing, in Deuteronomy 6, it's called the Shema. It's been recited in synagogues for centuries. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And they would recite that all the time. But there's a little wordplay going on there. When he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, that is the word Yahweh, that's the singular form of God. He says, The Lord Yahweh is God, Elohim. Elohim is the plural Hebrew, is the Hebrew plural form of, of God. So he's saying the Lord, singular, is God, made up of many, and he is one. That'll melt your brain. It's called the Trinity. It's what makes us distinctly Christian. That we serve one God, and yet he's made up of three distinct parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's a whole section that we talked about months ago now in the toolkit about the Trinity. Because it, it is a confusing, mind-blowing thing. How, but, but, but guys, if, if we've got to get this. That, that our God, we, we know this from verse 26 of what we just read. Genesis 1:26. Let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? Let us. Is he gotten schizophrenic? I mean, is God up in the heavens just going, let us? Who's he? Who's he? There isn't anybody to talk to yet. But there is. Because this great council in the, of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, are sitting up there and they're talking to each other. Let us make man in our image, the plural form. And then guess what happens? In verse 27, when he says, So he created them in his image. Male and female, he created them. Guys, that, that word when he says, so he created him, that word him in the Hebrew, guess what? It's the plural him. He created him. And that's why Moses, when he, when he, when he articulates it out, says male and female, he created them. Guys, it was not just Adam, and it wasn't just Eve, that were the image bearers of God. Together, the plural them, it's like back when we were talking, I don't know, what was the, it was the one and others, we were talking about the y'alls. It's the y'alls together that speak to the unity that is the triune Godhead in the church. It's the same thing in the marriage. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so I'm going to keep going here. So, so we got so to get this, that the very good in verse 31 is tied back to who he created in verse 27, which is part of this mystery of the triune Godhead in verse 26, which goes back to the first 25 verses that, have to do, that are all about God, and God, and God, and God, and God. So ultimately, what are our marriages all about? God. Our marriages are all about God. Our marriages are meant to display God. So bringing God glory in our marriage. Guys, get, so, so let's, drive it, let's just drive it to, to practical. You're sitting here right now, and you and your wife, we're fighting on the way over here. Right? Because we're really good at that in the body of Christ, aren't we? Like, man, we can be bickering and fighting the families back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And then you come, yeah, we're, we're awesome. We're so good. You get back in the car, and you don't speak for the rest of the day. Right? Not here, guys. If, if, if that describes you, and, and guys, I'll let you know a little secret. We have days like that. Not so much anymore, praise the Lord, because well, I, 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 since I started, i got to finish. One of the things that I learned several years ago about coming up here to sin here is there cannot be animosity between Carrie and I and me come up here. One of the, one of the true blessings of this, this role I play 
is that it forces me to fix my marital problems because I cannot afford. I cannot afford to stand up here and proclaim the truth of God's word and be at odds with my wife. I can be at odds with you and do it. I can. I shouldn't, but I can. I can't. I, I just can't. So, but guys, one of the beauties of this place is that there are brothers in this place I can go to and say, please pray for me right now. My marriage is under attack. Guys, don't, if, if that, if today, what I just described a few minutes ago about the animosity, if that's describing you, do not leave here today without being prayed for. By me, by one of the elders, by one of, just, guys, there's, there's a whole family here that would love to pray for you. Okay, back, back to my notes, back to my notes. My my point in all that is this. Marriage has got to be about, guys, to have a real biblical marriage, it's got to be about more than just two people getting along and learning to be roommates. Two people just not fighting. Right? That, that, that is not, like, two people just getting along is not bringing God glory. There's, so, there's something more to that. So to drive that point home of this unity that we just took a, got a glimpse of, God inspires Moses, this Holy Spirit inspires Moses to expand on, that, on those verses that we just read, and that is what Genesis chapter 2 is. Because something so miraculous happens in the creation of Adam and Eve that God wants to give it more ink. Now we should ask why. He doesn't have to. You could read Genesis and go from Genesis 1 to Genesis, or Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 3 just fine. You can. Accept that something really important happens in Genesis chapter 2. So, to ask the question, why does marriage matter to God? First, it's because together we are his image bearers. And that is because we are meant to display his oneness. And that's what chapter 2 is going to show us. So we're going to just pick it up in chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Now, I'll just stop right there for a second. Wait a minute. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Five times it was very good. Now we get a glimpse of, of what happened in between the good and the very good. And, and this is what God says. So between those five goods and the very good after he creates Adam and Eve, because they haven't been created yet. We're going back in time prior to Adam and Eve being created in chapter 2. And all of a sudden God says, it is not good. Well, wait a minute. Did God make a mistake? Did he just, go, did he just wake up and go, oh! <gasps> Wait, I, I just realized. No. He wants to show Adam, and through Adam he wants to show us why this scene we're going to read right now is so important. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what, it, what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to the cattle and to the birds and to the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper, there was not found a helper suitable for him. That word suitable, it's already been used twice in this chapter. It means corresponding to. Now guys, we immediately, especially we men, we immediately think physicality. There's certainly truth to that, right? The, the, the act of sexual reproduction. There was no suitable mate for him. This goes so beyond that. When he says corresponding to, he means of like kind. And I'll get there in a minute. 
Verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place, and the Lord God fashioned, that means he built into a woman the rib which had been taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Look at verse 24. For this reason. What reason? That's the question that we're going to answer right now. What's, what's the reason that a man should leave his father and his mother? Is it just because their parts fit? No. It's not just because their parts fit. Why? How did God create Eve? How did God create Eve? We just read it. A rib. How did he create everything else besides Adam? He spoke creation into existence. He makes Adam out of dirt. Why doesn't he just make Eve the same way? Because we would miss the whole point. That's why Moses writes chapter 2. Because the, the, act that, the, the fact that Eve was taken out of Adam... There's some headship stuff going on there. We'll talk about that in a minute. There's, and, and Paul talks about that in Galatians. But guys, ultimately it is, he is saying, I'm going to fashion out of you a being of the same stuff. Who does that sound like? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are separate and distinct in role, separate and distinct in personality, and made of the same stuff. That is what is supernatural about one man and one woman for life. And there's one piece we haven't gotten to yet that I'm going to add here in a minute that hopefully will help seal the deal, literally. Why does God take so much time to explain this unless there's something really important about how Eve was made and how this marriage thing came together? The, the reason, for this reason... So that he will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh is because this relationship is like no other human relationship on the planet. The marriage relationship between one man and one woman is, is the, the display of God's glory in the Trinity. But again, I get ahead of myself. I'm gonna, I just wrote this out because I didn't want to mess it up, so it's going to come up on the screen. God wants us to know that Adam, that Adam alone was not the pinnacle of his creation because without Eve, there would be no opportunity for the relationship that is required to display this unique and unified image of the Trinity. The peace of creation that would be missing if just Adam had been made or even just Adam and Eve had been made just like everything else was made through speaking into existence or through, um, or through the dirt like Adam was made, is that what it would have, we would have lost is that that is not all there is. It's not just about making a man and a woman. It's about bringing them together and making them out of the same thing. Why? Because the goal isn't a happy marriage. The goal is the display of God's glory through your marriage. Guys, this is why our triangle diagram, it's, it's in the toolkit, and you'll see it. We, we, it's why it, it makes so much sense. If you have a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and they're looking at each other for the answers to all of their problems and how to grow, they will not grow. 
Right? But if they're both, even independently, looking to the cross that is above them, as they grow closer and closer into the image of God, independently, what, hap- what necessarily happens to their relationship? They grow closer together. They can't not. If you are genuinely seeking the Lord, and your spouse is genuinely seeking the Lord, and you are actually being conformed into His image, not just checking off a box, you cannot help but grow closer together. Why? Because you're growing into the same person, which is ultimately what was happening in the garden before the fall. It's also why, if we look, if, look, look, at, look at it from the other direction, marriage from the other direction, divorce. Many of you have heard you know, Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. Could not be more clear about the issue. Right? God is not indifferent to divorce. He hates it. But have you ever asked why? Have you ever wondered, like, really why? I mean, there's all kinds of really good biblical reasons, but what is, it the, what is the why of the why God hates divorce? The answer is right above Malachi 2.16. Because in Malachi 2.15, it says this, he, Did he, God, not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? Guys, do you see it? Do you see what just happened there? We went from man and woman, even, even made out of the same stuff. Okay, I get that, Pastor. I get that. Just get off that. Let's keep going. Joined together by the Holy Spirit. A portion of their spirit in the union. Guys, doesn't that make Jesus' words in Matthew 19 when he says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That should take that word joined to a whole different level in your mind in your marriage or your, or your prospective marriage someday. What God has joined together. There is a supernatural connection between Carrie and I in a biblical marriage. Just like there's a supernatural fitting together of the body of Christ in the church. And that's what's missing in most teaching on, the church, or on marriage even in the church today. We give principles on how to love each other, but we never tell people why. Because when I love Carrie and Carrie loves me, we are at one with the Spirit between us, and that's how we bring God glory. Guys, understand this in light of what's going on in our society today. God did not create marriage for society. Marriage already existed before he created Adam and Eve. Who was married? Father, Son, and Spirit. God did not create marriage for the, sanct- for, for the safety of our society. Is it true that strong marriages and strong families keep a culture and a nation strong? Absolutely. So as goes the family, so goes the nation. I, I understand all that. I, f- I believe that. We are experiencing that. But we cannot take that to the level of going, marriage is the pinnacle. Marriage is just the means to him. He's the pinnacle. That's the deal. Okay, but let me get a little practical and move fast because I'm behind. How does marriage reflect the Trinity? Because some of you still aren't seeing like, okay, but wait a minute, Doug. I, 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 I see it. I sort of see it here. I know I've had the privilege of being able to chew on this for actually a couple years now after he revealed this to me um, in reading through the Word. But let's, let's just, I'm going to give you six, very quickly, six ways that God, that, that our marriage reflects the Trinity 
and why it matters. Now, I want, as, I, as I list these off pretty rapidly, don't think through how you experience them in your life or even how you see them in our culture, but think through them in the context of how God wants them to be. So don't, so don't think like pathology, the illness part of it. Think about, think about how it was invented by God. So the first one is, how, does it, how do we display the Trinity? The first one is authority. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son only did what the Father told him to do. The Spirit only said what the Father told him to say. That's one. That, that, yeah, I'll come back to that one in a minute. Second one, equality. So there's authority, roles, and yet there's equality. Equal, they, they, were, they had different functions, but the same personhood. They were made of the same stuff. Philippians 2. Right? For though he existed in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of man, even to the point of death, death on a cross. That's, that's God's word talking about Jesus. And yet, he, it starts with, even though he existed as God, just the same. Submission. Submission. Guys, submission is not a negative term. It was beautifully displayed by Jesus Christ. But words, guys, when we hear words like authority and submission in our culture, they do not, they, they, we rail. I, ra I rail, don't you tell me what to do. I rail against those words. So get this. I wrote this down so I wouldn't mess it up. Authority and submission are ugly unless they are defined by the gospel and seen through the lens of the triune Godhead. Guys, authority and submission apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is an ugly idea. But in the light of the gospel, it is beautiful. And Jesus displayed that perfectly. Not my will, but your will be done. Number four, perfect love. Perfect love. John 17 is a whole chapter of the Bible all about God's love for the Father, the, the, uh, God, the Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, the union that they had in Christ. It's, it, there's a call over and over in our marriages that we're to love each other, we're to love each other, we're to love each other. The husbands are to love their wives. The wives should be loving their husbands too. Um, it, it's when there's a strong foundation of love, the circumstances don't get so scary. Fifth one, oneness. I and the Father are one. Again, John 17 is a great place to go for that. It's why God hates divorce, because it breaks the oneness of husband, wife, and spirit. And the sixth one is unity of purpose. Father, Son, and Spirit are on the same mission. That is reconciliation and renewal of all that the enemy has tried to steal away. And husbands and wives and families ought to be on the same mission and ought to be on his mission if they're Christians. So today's question is, why does marriage matter so much to God? One, it's because together we are his image bearers, meant to display his oneness in a world that is set on self. So let's go back to where we were before. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Guys, because the enemy that we, looked, we started in the garden there, and, and the enemy's questioning God's word, and he's questioning Eve, and, and he's still whispering his lies. And guess what his number one lie is? Self, 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 self. 
Do what will make you happy, and you will be happy. That he is still whispering. That's the lie he went to with Eve. It's the same lie. So let's pick it up in verse 9. He says, Then the Lord called the man and said, Where are you? And he heard the sound of him in the garden, and he was... I'm sorry, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who gave me with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. So God turns to Eve and says, What is this you've done? And the woman said, That serpent, he deceived me, and I ate. Right away, blaming, blame shifting, denial, disagreement, disunity enters the world. And right away, we are finger pointing. And, if, and, and guys, that, ought to, that, that sadly describes so many marriages. I mean, they, they live 900 years. Can you imagine how many fights Adam and Eve had? Like seriously. Like it, it, but the amount of dysfunction that happened. So God addresses the three people that are in the garden, the three entities. Adam, Eve, and Satan. I'm going to start by looking at how he addresses Eve. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. So this, is, so this is God saying to the woman, to the woman he replied, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This is a product of the curse. This is a product of the fall. Guys, what I'm about to read in these, in these next with Adam and Eve, it's just like all of a sudden, beautiful rose bushes had thorns. Now all of a sudden, this perfect united relationship has thorns. And God's saying, this is what your thorns are going to look like, Eve. You're going to have a hard time giving, giving birth to babies. It's going to be painful. And, oh, by the way, your desire is going to be to rule your husband, but he is going to rule you. That, that is a product of what you've done. It's a product of the fall. Have you ever wondered why there's so much talk? 1 Peter 3, in the same way you wives be submissive to your husbands. Paul says, so that's Peter talking. In Ephesians 5 and in Colossians 3, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto Christ. What's, this, what's all this talk about submission? The answer is because Peter and Paul know where the problem starts. The problem was right here. What God said was, you know what, your pro- here's going to be your problem, Eve. Your problem is going to be that you're going to want to tell your husband what to do, but he is going to be your authority, and you're going to rail against that every chance you get. That's why there's so much talk about submission. Guys, ladies in the room, ladies young and old, your sin struggle is to dominate your husband. That's your sin struggle. You want to dominate your husband, but you are to come under him as part of your way back into fellowship with God. Because what was broken here in the garden was fellowship with God, not just with each other. You are to, coming under your husband is a way for you to get back into fellowship, not just with your husband, but with the Lord. I love how the New Living Translation paraphrases verse 16. God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That is the struggle of females. So get this, ladies. You will be most unfair in your marriage in trying to get your own way when it comes to your husband. You will be most unfair in your marriage when you try to get your own way when it comes to your husband. Don't underestimate this power and from where it comes. 
Like, I, I'm not trying to excuse it, but ladies, it's almost not your fault. You inherited this. But know it. Like, knowing where the problem is is half the battle. Right? For, for what God says is, His grace is sufficient for you. Is God's grace sufficient for your husband's sin? Even when he doesn't lead you well. All right, Adam. i got to keep moving. He addresses Adam in verse 17. Then he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Guys, do you ever wonder, gentlemen, why it's so hard? I mean, work is hard, but I'm not even talking about your job or yard work. Or, I'm talking about relationships. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard? It's because our problem is that we are lazy. You ever wonder why, why Paul says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, you ought to love your wives as Christ loved the church, who gave himself for her, who washed her with the water of the word. These are all like action words. I'm like, God, come on, I'm tired. Leave me alone. Let me just sit on the couch, watch Netflix or football. The problem is we're lazy, gentlemen. And we always have been. How do I know? Because Eve wasn't even around when God told Adam not to eat the fruit. Did you know that? It's not just that Adam was standing right next to her when she did it. He, she wasn't even there when he told Adam to stop it. But he was too lazy to teach her well. This is on us, guys. And it's easier for me to yell at you because I'm yelling at me too than it is for me to yell at your wives. But it's the truth. We are lazy by nature, especially relationally. And if you're sitting here right now going, how dare you tell me that, come talk to me afterwards because we need to pray. I'm not kidding. It, I, I, you can't, again, just like, it's, it's, not, it's almost not your fault. But it is. You have to own it. We're responsible for it. We can't just go, well, that's a product of the curse. I'm covered by grace. Oh, no. There's a whole lot of stuff in here that talks about how we're supposed to live like Christ. But we have to own where it came from. Our laziness from the beginning is what creates. So, guys, get this. You will be most unfair in your marriage when you take the easy, lazy way when it comes to your wife. When, you, when, you, when you're like, you know what, I'm going to let her deal with that parenting issue, or I'm going to let her deal with this, or, or you know what, I know there's some tension here in our marriage, and it's not where it needs to be, but you know what, I'm not really good at this relational thing, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. Sin, 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 sin. All of it. It's on you, guys. It is on you to lead your wives. It is on you to lead your families. Period. Take it up with God. But I'd be happy to talk with you about it too. Guys, conflict in our marriage is a fight for glory. Get that. Men and women, conflict in our marriage is a fight for glory. It is not a fight for your rights. It is not a fight for, for, even, a, it's for even a happy marriage. It is a fight for the glory of of God. Much more to say. Time is short. I will move on. 
right, I got to say this. Young ladies, because I have three of them on my own, but there's many in this room. Well, for gentlemen, if you want to love your wives, love Christ. If you want to love your wives well, love Christ first. Ladies, if he doesn't love Jesus, he can't love you. I know he can show you love. I know he can do loving things for you. But the truth is, ladies, if the person you are pursuing or is pursuing you, whether it be now or sometime in your future, listen to this. If he does not love Christ, he cannot love you the way the Bible tells him to. It's not possible because it's supernatural and he doesn't have the Spirit. Now time is short and we will move on. So what do I do with this? So as we, as we take a minute and we wrap up time, we're going to go into communion and respond to what you're hearing. And I, and I know this is a passionate plea. I'm asking you, what needs to change in your life? What needs to change in your life to have a marriage that would glorify God? I didn't say what needs to change in your spouse. I didn't even say what needs to change in your marriage. What needs to change in your life? Take care of that. That'll flow into your marriage. That'll flow into the church. That'll flow into revival in our nation. It starts with us taking care of business here. As the music team comes up, and we prepare to go into communion, I'm going to ask the question of the day a different way. Why? From the beginning, we just saw it. From the beginning, the enemy has attacked marriage. He doesn't come on the scene until Adam and Eve are one. And there he comes. Why does he attack marriage? Here's the answer. He hates you. He hates you. Why does he hate you? Because he hates God. And he hates anything in us that will bring God glory. That's the truth, guys. And so there's a third person that God addresses in the garden. He addressed Eve. He addressed Adam. I skipped the part where he addressed Satan. Do you remember what he said to Satan? He said, you will slither on your belly and her seed is going to crush your head. Who's the seed? I don't have time to trace it back, but the Bible clearly shows that the seed that is going to come from Eve, from the daughters of Eve, is our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And he has destroyed sin, he has conquered death, and he will come again to send Satan to the pit of hell where he belongs. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are who you are. That our marriages don't make you more God. And yet we desire to be a people who relate in a way that shows the world the image of God. For that is, for we together are the image bearers of God. Husband and wife, Christ and the church. So Lord, I pray that, that you would show us in these moments the things in our own lives 
as we lay it down here at the altar, Lord, I pray that you would show us the things that need to change, that we need to let go of so that we can grasp a hold of the beauty and the glory that is the gospel. And that that would be put on display in my relationship with my wife and in our marriages and in our church family. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would send Satan far from the marriages in this place. God, I know there are marriages under attack right now in this moment. Lord, may they armor up and fight the fight where it, where it starts. For our weapons are not of flesh and blood, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of forces, fortresses. So Lord, I pray that, that those divine weapons right now would crush and wipe out the fortresses that we have set up in our lives that are destroying our marriages, that are hurting our children, and most of all, that are diminishing our ability to bring you glory. Search us, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen.